Ridge Hunter Nation, welcome back to another episode of Ridge Hunters Live. Tonight's show is absolutely phenomenal. You're going to learn all about Stephanie Bishop and her newest FKT on New Hampshire's 48 4,000 footers. She completed this adventure in four days, 14 hours, and 14 minutes. She's done some incredible things in the world of uh, adventure running and just ultra endurance races. Hear all about it. I'm not going to talk about this anymore. Let's just dive right into this episode. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Yo, what is Crackalack and Ridge Runner Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Ridge Runners Live. Tonight, we are super excited to be joined by the newest FKT holder of New Hampshire's 48 4,000 footers. She accomplished this feat in four days, 14 hours, and 14 hours and 14 minutes. Uh, she's a true adventurer and has accomplished so many incredible things in the world of endurance sports. Coming to us all the way from the Big Apple, New York City, Long Island. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Stephanie Bishop, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on. We're super excited to have you on and talk about this FKT. Uh, for those of you that don't know, my name is Wesley Harton, and joining me for the first time tonight is the face of Voss Talks. Some people know him as Trail Voss. His name is Nick Voss. What's going on, dude? Hey, man, I'm doing good. Uh, just excited to, I think we're all going to learn something new tonight. So ready to get going. And let's just start things off with how we normally start off the show. Let's figure out what everyone is drinking tonight, starting with you, Stephanie. What do you have? All right. So in uh, in honor of my recent FKT, I'm enjoying a Woodstock Brewery 4,000 footer IPA. And it is National IPA Day as well, as I found out earlier today. Um, and I'm just enjoying it in one of my mugs from an adventure race I won. That is awesome. And it's, of course, you know, National IP Day, IPA Day. And I'm, I'm shocked you're not sponsored by that uh, brewing company at this point. I feel like you deserve that after uh, getting the FKT they, there. They took care of me out there. They definitely took care of me afterwards. <laughs> well, we absolutely love to hear that. Nick, what are you drinking? Uh, I got a local Colorado beer from Ned here. It's called Thick Splash Cooler Goo uh, from Knotted Root Brewing. And uh, yeah, you got to see the color on this thing. Check this out. Whoa, look at that. Yeah, that's the good stuff up here. So Nick Voss comes on Ridge Runners Live for the very first time. He's drinking fruit punch. Uh, you just can't <laughs> let this guy go anywhere without himself. <laughs> uh, I've got the Fernstein tonight brewing company. It's a South Dakota lager, Lion's Paw. Uh, Kyle Whittle special uh, he gave to me when he uh, stopped through. So shout out to you, Kyle, uh, for the beer tonight. Uh, as always, you can find the show on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're on Strava, check out our Strava Club as well. It's filled with so many incredible runners and there's epic adventures happening all the time. Uh, Stephanie, before we dive too deep into the FKT attempt, let's start off by learning about your running background a little bit. What was the moment like the first time that you decided to lace up a pair of trail running shoes for you? Uh, oh, uh, I guess I've always been an athlete ever since I could crawl, literally. My parents, once I learned how to crawl, that was it. Um, I think the first time I started to run trail, I ran cross country in high school as like a side sport to soccer. So that was like my first experience doing it. But after school, like even after college, I don't think I ran a, 
Uh, I ran a few like random trail races here and there, like going on like uh, up to like Stratton in Vermont with a friend. We would like run, but I never really start to really run trail races. I would say until like like just before 2010, somewhere in that range. I was more like a roadie, um, just like it was convenient where I lived and triathlon and all this other stuff. So like I never really accessed the trails until later on um, in, in life. And uh, I don't plan on stopping anytime soon. <laughs> so what was it like in those early moments on the road? Was it just you kind of hopped into it because you were looking for something in your early career? Or kind of like, how did you uh, get into deciding to continue on uh, adventure sports? So uh, I, actually somebody uh, suggested at a job I had after college that I do a triathlon. He's like, you'll really love it. You always played a ton of sports. And I did. And I was like, this is amazing. I'm kind of hooked. But in the back of my head, and I think it's 2000, I saw Eco Challenge on TV. And I'm like, oh, I want to do that. Like, that looks like fun. So that was always like lingering in the back of my head. But I did triathlon for a few years. But I stopped it because I'm not a great swimmer. So like, I would have to do the long triathlons because it would give me enough time to catch up to people between the bike and the run because I would be like the last person out of the water. Um, but I didn't, I winged a marathon in New York city. I did that in 2008. That was the first time I ever ran anything longer than a half marathon. And I had six weeks to train for it. Um, because I got a last minute entry and we all know like New York city is such a hard marathon to get into. When my friend offered it to me, I was like, yeah, I'll take it. Like, that's fine. I'll work it out. Um, it was, I like totally bonked at mile 20. My feet were covered in blisters. It was just like, it was a learning experience. I did really well. I qualified for Boston and actually I requalified for New York city, which if you don't know, like it's, there's like, I don't know if they still do it, but they have time qualifications for New York city and it's, they're harder than Boston. So I did really well, but I still wanted like to be off the road. I was like, it's fun. It's great for traveling and exploring cities, but you know, I was big into hiking and the mountains are always calling my name. Hey, so tell us more about uh, about Eco Challenge. I know you threw that in there a little bit, and that piqued your interest. Um, I know I, as a kid, I I also caught it uh, caught it on TV and thought it was it was pretty cool. So tell all the all the viewers here what that's all about. So you saw the one I'm assuming with the Playboy bunnies. Was that the one? Because that was the one that was on TV when I saw it, and it was like all these Playboy bunnies and all these other like super serious athletes they were filming. Um, uh, for those who don't know what Eco Challenge is, it's like one of like the most premier adventure races. Um, and Mark Burnett, who created Survivor, actually like that was his deal was Eco Challenge. Um, so in adventure racing, it's a team sport. Uh, the goal is to reach different checkpoints throughout the course using just maps and a compass. And you have like usually a, three main disciplines, and then they sometimes throw in other disciplines. So you're on foot, um, usually. Lucky if you're on trail, you're usually off trail bushwhacking. Um, you're on mountain bikes and there's like paddling aspect and eco challenge is a little more like big production. So they definitely put in more interesting things like rappelling down cliffs with bikes and all this more like Hollywood style stuff. Uh, and to me, it was just like, that looks amazing. Like they're filthy, they're tired, but like, look where they are. Like that was the most appealing thing to me was like, look where they were able to go using their own energy. Um, and like, that was 
took me 16 years to get into adventure racing. So I always say like, keep your dreams alive. Like it took a long time. It's an expensive sport. So there's like generally a little bit of a barrier to entry for the larger ones. If you find like local races, they're a lot more affordable, but still like, you know, like it's, it took me a while to finally like commit to it and to get into it, but I'm actually leaving in two weeks. I'm going to Canada, well, Canada borders reopening and uh, my team's defending our title at a race. So uh, I'm really stoked about that. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I, I always like, I kind of compare it to uh, whenever I'm telling people about eco challenge. So for those that don't know, there's a reboot that happened um, last year that they released on prime. Um, and kind of brought it back and and that was really cool. But when I was telling coworkers about it, I was like, all right, so everybody knows amazing race. If you think of that, that's like a 5k and eco challenge and adventure racing is like doing a hundred mile race. Oh, it's like, easy. you know, that kind of disparity <laughs> because amazing race kind of makes, makes it out to seem like they're doing these like really hard challenges, but it's, it's a similar vibe in terms of like, you're going to checkpoints and, yeah. and racing as a team, but yeah, yeah, it's cool. Like adventure, uh, like the amazing race has some mental aspects. I think like one season they had to literally look for a needle in a, in a field of like haystacks. So like <laughs> there is, they do share the mental aspect, but I would say obviously eco eco challenge and, and ex, they call them expedition length adventure races are definitely physically demanding because you don't, you sleep when your team wants to sleep and you're not sleeping eight hours. You're sleeping maybe 30 minutes or maybe an hour and a half if you really need to sleep. Um, so it's, uh, it definitely like tests you to your limits and then a lot, a lot farther than that. It's cool how there's always like everybody on the team has a role too, right? Like, so there's always, you know, your, your nav person who's going to be in charge of like making sure you're going the right way and yeah. everything. But at the same time, you all have to be still physically like capable and pretty close to each other. Close in, and you have to, I think it's like 200 yards, like your teammates, you cannot leave mm -hmm. your teammates. And, um, usually like we set up our team, we have like a main navigator and then like a backup navigator, like somebody's going to be like counting steps. Like it's amazing. These people that I race with, like he'll like in his head, know how far we've gone just based upon like how we're moving and what type of terrain we're moving on. Um, but there's no ego. Like you have to check your ego at the door. Like it's a sport where unlike, you know, doing stuff on your own, you're relying on yourself. You need to be open and honest about being like, okay, I'm not the strongest mountain biker on the team. So for the mountain biking, you guys take my path and I'm going to take, we like leash each other up. So like I can do, it'll be easier for me. And then on foot, it's like, I know that's my strength. So it's like, you have to, you balance each other out. Um, it's, it's really great, especially, and it tests you a lot because when you get really tired, you know, sometimes we get a little moody out there. So you really have to like, you know, like problem solve and like, you know, work with people's personalities, even if you're the most best of friends, like you never know what's going to happen if you haven't slept for three days. So how did you get started with that? Like, how did you, um, basically, so it's just kind of like intimidating for someone like me, who's used to just like doing a lot of running and a little bit of biking. Did you kind of tackle each domain individually, like try out paddling, try out biking, try out rucking and kind of put them all together? Or was there a group you got with? So for adventure racing, I started that in 2016. In 2010, I did a race called the Death Race in Vermont. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but yeah. um, I jumped into that last minute. I was part of a very special group got that had to do that actually volunteered 
to be test dummies for what would become eventually the winter death race. And, um, I showed up and I like, I won the whole thing. Um, it was like the first, and that was the first time I did anything that was like of ultra length. And, and that last, that was 18 hours long. So that was my, a really long race for me at the time. Um, but I remember like the energy of finishing and just getting so excited and forgetting about like that, like hours before I was hypothermic trying to like throw up and like all this negative stuff that happened. Um, and that I was like, okay, like that, like boosted my confidence in being like, okay, like I definitely still want to do adventure racing, but I always like dabbled in, see, I came from triathlon. So I've already was training on the bike. Um, not mountain biking. I, you know, obviously had to learn how to do that, but, um, and I never really paddled. I went into my first race with like no paddling experience. Um, and it was kind of miserable because the team I met, I, I don't race with them anymore. This is a previous team. Um, it was good because the group was like a mediocre middle of the middle of the pack team. So it was great because we got to experiment and I got to really learn about things, not in like a rushed environment and just build my own like resume, so to speak. Um, we had an 11, just like an 11 mile paddle in like a thunderstorm in canoes down a river in the middle of the night. And our canoes were filling up with water. Like to the point, like we had like two inches left and we, the, the banks of the river were like straight up. So we actually couldn't pull the canoes off the river. And we were like nervous because we're like, these things are going to flip and we're going to float down the river for the rest of our paddling leg. But I remember getting out of that boat that first time and being like, oh, this sucks like <laughs> so much. Um, but I keep on going back for more. No, um, now though, like I got experience and then I'm like, okay, this is what I need to work on. You know, I kind of, I guess, like did it kind of reverse and like, well, I have the endurance, I have the strength, like paddling's a lot of form. Like it comes down to like technique. Um, and then mountain biking, it's just like, it, you know, again, like getting out on trails, you know, learning skills, being comfortable on the bike. In adventure racing, we do, we do a lot more like fire roads. Um, so it's not as technical, but riding more technical stuff makes me a better rider anyway. Um, and then obviously on foot, like it's fun because now it's like I sometimes go out for trail runs and I'm just like, we'll whip out a map if I'm like not on Long Island where I know like where I'm going, but somewhere else. And I'll be like, let me draw a bearing and let's see if I can like end up on this trail. Um, and I'll just like go off, go off the trail in the middle of the woods. And it's fun because I'll check my GPS track when I get home and I'm like, oh, like I got it this time. Um, so it just like kind of like elevates. It elevates my running. It elevates everything that I do. Um, and it's just, it's just fun. Well, that sounds like some mountain biking that I could maybe do some, you know, pedaling, grinding, you know, less of the, less of the steep downhill and, and technical feature stuff yeah. for sure. So I started downhill last year though, and I love it. Like, yeah, it's not, it I'm sounds like you got a little of that adrenaline, a little adrenaline I, junkie in you. But I have to say, though, I totally show up at the downhill like park. My friend used to ride like pro in the 90s. So he takes me out and he coaches me, which is great. But I'm like from the knees, from like the ankles up, I'm like downhill mountain biker. From the ankles down, I am in my cross country shoes, on my like clipping SPDs, because I can't ride flats. So I like, I. <laughs> rode in flats the first time and I went over a jump and my feet just went off the pedals. Like my legs are in the air and my friend's like, we're changing your pedals right now. <laughs> so, but it's fun. It's really fun. 
so tell me about what went through your head when you when you won that first uh, that first race, death race. How how did that frame your um, your confidence or, or your belief in in yourself to really grind through that tough stuff? Did you know you had that already? I mean, obviously that's a long time to grind. Or or are you just you know you know you're that competitive that you were just going to stick it out. I know I'm very, I've always been very competitive. Um, I was the child, I'm a middle child and I used to like, like throw fits if I lost at games. Like I was such a sore loser. Um, (laughs) That has changed thankfully, but, but um, it's more like, I just growing up, I would always like be outside. Like I just been outdoor ed and would always just be like, I always wanted to be outside and in the woods and just like doing things. And I was in design school at the time when I did my first death race. So I was already doing like two, three all-nighters a week because we just had such a heavy workload. And I was also working as a designer on the side. Um, so I wasn't like intimidated necessarily about the length. I think for me, what got what gets me through a lot of this stuff is unlike triathlon where you're like, this is the course. I know exactly I can go do this and I like practice it there's a lot of unknowns and I'm drawn to that. I think it's more, it's fun to me because it's, I'm never, I can never be concerned about what lies ahead because I don't know what's going to lie ahead. And I think even with like ultras, even if you know the course, like you're out there for so long, you like, you could really hit rock bottom, but you can dig yourself out of it depending on what it is. Um, obviously if it's a major medical issue, probably not, but like you can dig yourself out of a lot of big ruts. Um, and to me, it's just like, that's, what's exciting about it. It's like, you know, like, especially when sleep deprivation hits, like, you know, things like 18 hours doesn't, it's not so bad. It's like 36 hours usually is like the mark when people start to really see a significant decline in their performance. Um, so we can push really hard for 36 hours. And after that, like things tend to get like uh, a little bit uh, so-so. So it's more about like, you know, when I hit those moments, it's like, okay, I have a choice now. Like, how am I going to proceed? You know, like it's my choice. I, I signed up for this. It's not like I'm in the military and I'm being like shipped off somewhere. Like that's not a choice once you're in the military, like that's it. Um, you know, I'm like, I am appreciating the fact that I am physically able to be here today and that I'm in probably a really beautiful place. And so I'm going to focus on all the good stuff well, like the really bad stuff's happening at the same time. Um, and actually at that first race afterwards, I found out that everybody discredited me from the get-go because I showed up and I was like really excited and really happy and smiling. And everybody's like, everybody was taking bets on how long I would last. And I thought that was really funny. And I was like, you guys have no idea. Cause I'm like, I'm like this when I race for the most part, like I definitely have like moments when I'm like super pissed off or just like, angry at myself and just sad. But like, for the most part, I'm like really cheery. But like, if somebody's gonna like get underneath my skin and try to like backstab me, like, uh, uh-uh, don't cross that line, because I'll snap and I will turn into like super competitive, competitive Stephanie, and like go after them. Like not like, you know, like, like, fine, if you really want to play that way, I'll play that way. But I try not to because it's we're out there to have fun. Like we're out there. To, I'm out there to win, but I'm out there to have fun, really. 
you kind of feed off of that. Like, I mean, to an extent, you almost prefer when kind of people discredit you and count you out because you can use that as motivation. I think uh, Michael Jordan used to talk about, you know, how he would make up stories about his competition, slighting him just so he could go out there and just put up crazy numbers. Is that something that you kind of do uh, at races? Uh, I think like I more put a, like put myself up against myself. Like maybe when I was younger, when I first started endurance racing, I put myself up against everybody else, but I realized that like, I'm my own biggest competitor and I can self-sabotage really easily. So like, why not? Like, let's just like fight ourselves. And we could talk about that with the 48 because I'm actually struggling with that right now because I know I could have done better actually. Um, but, uh, not so much. Like I tried it. I think like for me, for, especially for the longer stuff, like if you crack a smile at somebody and like they smile back, like that's good energy. Like I want that energy. Give me it. Um, because I'll be able to push harder, but I'm not going to lie. Like I love, like, I kind of think it's like, I also smile at people when they look miserable <laughs> and they're like, I hate you right now. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to have a good time. And it's actually sometimes messes with other people. And I don't mean to do it on purpose, but it sometimes happens. Hey, as long as it keeps working out for you, you should keep doing it for sure. Uh, you kind of mentioned the 48 there, and I think it's a good time to kind of dive into that. Uh, when was the first time that you kind of knew about uh, the FKT? When did you decide to go to it? And what was kind of your reasonings for doing so? Well, I knew that, like, I knew about the FKT for years, um, but I never even, like, thought about doing it. Uh, uh, last summer, I was up on the Pemi Loop, which is, like, a really beautiful trail run in the Northeast, in the White Mountains. It's, like, one of my favorite ridgelines in the world. It's out of, it's unbelievably beautiful. And I was there on a photo shoot, and I was talking to the photographer, Brian Nevins, and him and I were, like, I was, like, I love this place so much, and he was just, like, we should make a, like a passion project film about it because he like saw the excitement that I had about the place. And actually I was the only person in the group who was up, who was ever up there prior to that photo shoot. And all these guys I was with, they're like, had to hear me the whole way up the mountain being like, Oh my gosh, I can't wait. You guys, like, I was just like bubbling over with excitement. And finally, when we got up there, I think like everybody like, they got it. Like they understood why I was so passionate about this place. So Brian and I went out to just shoot this passion project and it's out. It's like a six, seven minute long uh, film. Um, if anybody hasn't seen it, go watch it. Um, we just had fun filming it. We went out there a bunch of seasons and I was actually going to go for the Pemi FKT, which for me is a really uncomfortable FKT to go after because I hate like something that short. Like I hate it. Um, like, and I knew though it would probably be good for me because I don't like it. And I know I'm better at longer stuff. So like, why not really push myself outside my comfort zone? Um, but during our filming, I like kind of threw around the, maybe I should just do the whole 48. And I like, that's literally how it happened. And it didn't really come to be until like earlier this year. Like I wasn't really like a hundred percent gung ho on it until like, I don't know, like end of end of winter, beginning of like spring, it was like, it was only a few months ago. Um, and that was it. I was like, I, I had a winter project that we had to postpone until this winter. So that kind of like opened up my, like, my like calendar in a way being like, I don't have to recover from this other thing. I can just train right through and I could go do this this summer. Um, and that's what happened. And I kind of set a window because I had this adventure race 
So I had to do it beforehand with enough time to recover and to get back into some training before this adventure race. So um, I kind of set like a weather window because up there, the weather changes so quickly. Um, Mount Washington, like, and the presidentials in general, it's notoriously bad weather. It just snowed there this past week. Um, you know, you're talking like you can be up there and there might be like winds of over 150 miles an hour, like, or hundred miles an hour, even like 50. I've been up on, I've been up on the ridgeline, like 50 sustained and that's rough. Um, so the weather's really bad. The terrain is really gnarly. You West coasters certainly have it nice over there. Um, but I like the terrain. Like, I think it's great. Like you're constantly scrambling over things. Like the rocks just protrude out of the ground. Um, it's just like, you're literally like just watching like a potential ankle sprains and breaks, like with every step that you take. Um, but that's what I love about those mountains. It's really challenging. Um, so I set a weather window and I was like, okay. I told my crew, I'm like, this is the kind of like the week and a half I'm looking at. Um, and then it got closer and closer and we're like, okay, like let's start on this day. And, um, it actually didn't turn out the weather changed. So that kind of, uh, <laughs> mother, rain, mother nature tried to rain on my parade, literally. So obviously when you go out to do such a crazy FKT like this one, there's a lot of logistics that go into it with the training, with the prepping of your crew and kind of the whole preparation going into it. What do those logistics look like? What do you focus on when going into an adventure like this? Uh, what are your favorite details and that people should really uh, hone in on before going out to do something like this? So I knew that right out of the gate, I was going to be doing somewhere between 180, maybe 190 miles, depending on what route I took. Um, and I was looking at over 70,000 feet of just vertical gain alone. Um, so you're log talking again, like with point to points, you might do more gain or you might do more descending. I was trying to do more gain rather than more descending because it's obviously less abusive on your body. Um, but I didn't calculate the descent, the total descent, but it's probably 70 something as well. So I knew in order to prepare, I had to be the most durable athlete possible. Like I had to make my legs resilient to ankle sprains, to knee injuries, to be able to just take being on really hard, hard surfaces on uneven rocks, just over and over and over because you really don't get a break out there. Um, and stuff is really steep. So since I was training for this winter thing that didn't happen, I already had like a good base. I was training actually with like a pack I was snowshoeing a lot. So I was doing like slower stuff, but I was getting a lot of time on feet. Um, long story short, like I had a section in the spring, I got into a bike, bike crash and it smashed open my face. So I couldn't train for a few weeks because the doctor wouldn't let me. And then I had like a running event, uh, the Red Bull Wings for Life, which is like a charity event. So my focus for four weeks was on le legit like speed. I'm like, I need to go from like zero to hero in four weeks. And after that, I was like, that's the beginning of May. Then I go straight into like volume training. So I like started to like, I went from like speed and like less volume to like speed started to drop down and the volume started to go up. So I knew like I didn't need speed as much as I needed volume, but I still continued to do strides on a weekly basis to keep some like turnover. Um, I built up to my peak week was 105 miles and about 42,000 feet. Um, yeah, it was big, but it was a lot of like, you know, it was just, it was slower moving. It was not like, it wasn't like, I'm going to go, I think one day that week I did do like a, a hard threshold workout. 
I was like, let me like towards the end of the week, I'm like, let me just see how like I can push my legs right now. Um, but it was just like consistency. It was like being out there, like doing like seven to like nine runs a week or sometimes and hikes. It wasn't all like running. It was like a lot of power hiking because I was on, even though I live on Long Island where it's very flat, there's a one mile stretch of trail that I have that a round trip gets me about 850 feet of vertical. There's short hills, but they're really steep. Like one is 30%. So like I can get in, I could simulate it. And even though like you only, you get that amount of vert, you don't get flat. It's just up, down, up, down, up, down. So you really don't get a lot of rest in it. And it actually worked out really well to be training on that terrain. Um, every once in a while I did go to like just North of New York city to train. I went to the Adirondacks one weekend and I went to the white mountains one, one weekend just to do some recon. Um, and then the other facet of that was being in the gym. Um, strength training was like the other half of my life. Like I was strength training three days a week, um, usually like an hour and a half in the gym and just like making sure, like I had one day that was pure strength. One day that was like more power movements. And like the last day, which was like usually a Friday, I would do more like single leg stuff um, because I was also more tired by the time it was Friday. So I'd like focus on that because I didn't want to lift heavy. Um, and that was like a non-negotiable. Like I was in the gym. I don't like, and I was in the gym in the morning. So I'd go to the gym and then I'd immediately go run right afterwards. So it also ensured that I wasn't lifting too heavy where I'd like hobble out of the gym all sore. Like it was about being like building strength, but also like, I'm not going to like a lifting competition. I need to build like the right amount, like the right strength. Um, and that was like, that was it. Like that was my, my formula right there. Um, and it wasn't, I wasn't just doing lower leg stuff, like a ton of core. I was doing upper body. Like those mountains are demanding. I was going to be using trekking poles. So I was practicing with trekking poles. Um, a lot of things like that. So I'm curious, you said you, you said you were doing a lot of, uh, power-based stuff. Um, were you including like explosive power in that or talk yeah. to us about like, talk to us about like specificity there. Like what, what percent of like your one rep max were you lifting at? I've never lifted a one rep max of anything in any of my training ever. There's never been a need for it. Um, I would say I would get up to, for like the pure strength stuff, like deadlifting, I would do, oh gosh, I don't even know how many, like, but I sometimes like, I also changed my reps. So I went through cycles. So like my first cycle of like lifting was like higher reps, more in like endurance, so to speak. And then I moved to drop down my reps, but I would do like maybe a five by five, like five sets of five reps, each of deadlifts. Um, and I would get up to like, I don't even know, like I lifted, I like PR'd my deadlift like this year. I got like, it wasn't even like, it's not that much, but it was like 240 pounds or something. Like it was like, okay, like I'm happy with that. Like, but that was like, you know, on like my last set. So I was doing like a lot of like, I was like, all right, that's pretty good. Like, I'm curious, like, I don't know what my one rep max is, but I'll never know because again, I have no reason for that. The power movements I do like kettlebells. I do um, a lot of like med ball work. Um, I do cleans. Uh, things like that. Like I'd also do like plyometrics, um, you know, even like doing stuff like uh, footwork drills, uh, you know, like ladder work, things like, like, I didn't even have a ladder, but I would do like simulate ladder work. There was like a piece of tape on the ground and I would simulate doing that because uh, I knew like having like quick feet and, and good reactions, especially like 
some of the terrain you're on like slides and you're on like kind of like stuff that's like, you know, kind of dangerous. Um, and you have to be able to react even when you're tired. Um, so it was making sure that I had the, uh, the strength and just like the, like the reactive qu like qualities, so to speak, to be able to do that. Yeah, I think it's cool. It's cool to hear too. I think because uh, I think a lot of the people listening might uh, be wondering how to implement strength training and how to how to do that, and uh, there might be a barrier there. Um, so I think it's good to to hear that structure. And I think and I think you're right on. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure you were just mixing up the the rep ranges there, and as those reps went from five to three to one, you were just going a little heavier. You know, based yeah. on less reps. And then when I got closer to it, instead I like laid off the heavier stuff, went into more like like higher reps, but I also changed a lot of some of my stuff to more eccentric movements, you know, to like, just like load more like the tendons and versus being like, just like exhausting my muscles. It was like, you know, just more like maintenance at the very end. Like the final two weeks were not like heavy lifting at all. That's, that's awesome to hear. I know our producer, uh, six man of the nation, Cam Wrench, he's a former high school football player. So he loves when uh, runners talk about, uh, uh, you know, strength training. <laughs> their training. I, I, know that, training. I know that got Nick there pretty good, but uh, yeah, he doesn't even have to be here for us to hear about his high school <laughs> football days. <laughs> I think it's great. I mean, I think I was exposed to strength training, like in after my first death race, there was a gym I used to go to in New York city. It's closed since, but um, a guy, Don Saladino, and it was amazing. So here we go in 2010, he's like, Oh, let me see what you can do. And he is like, just do a body weight squat. I actually like, didn't have the mobility and the mechanics to squat. Like I could not squat. I'd get like down, like to like here and I'd like fall over. I like, couldn't get down to a you know, 90 degree angle. So like, it's, you know, that's not too long ago. If you think about it, like, um, I put in a lot of work over the years and only like the past few years am I like, I'm really consistently doing it and I'm seeing a huge difference in not only like performance, but in recovery and in, like inflammation, like my body can handle a lot more because I'm getting strong and I'm not bulky. Like, so like that's, I, I it amazes me that that's still like such a big myth. Like lift heavy weights, you're going to get huge. Like you're not going to get huge. You're just going to be able to like climb mountains so much faster and to send them. It's awesome to hear all the preparation you did going into this FKT. The one thing I'm kind of curious now, let's fully dive into it. Obviously you were out there for four days, 14 hours and 14 minutes. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, let's just have you do the full recap of the whole time. We'll just go this live show for four days here and you can walk us through every minute. There are some minutes, there are some dark minutes there. I, I don't want to relive some of those <laughs> I uh, nightmares uh, for a few days afterwards. No joke. <laughs> Let's just start off with the first day. Kind of take us through what it meant starting, what the starting line emotions were like for you, and kind of all the challenges that you face in the early part of this. Um, well, so I was with my like head crew member. Like there's just him and I, like the first two days about. Um, so I was on my own um for like the first for quite a few miles at the beginning. I was on my own for about like over 70 miles, I think I did solo of it. Um, we changed my plan right out of the gate. Um, and that's because the weather looked to be like super primed to do a presidential range traverse. So when the weather's good, you take advantage of it there. You don't mess around with that because you are fully exposed for 90% of it. 
Um, so it was a sunny day. It was hot and it was humid. And um, he like sent me off. I almost cried at the beginning because I was just so nervous and scared. Um, but and I remember I, that was the only leg I wore a heart rate monitor for. And I stopped wearing it because I watched my heart rate just like shoot straight into his own five from the nerves. And I'm like, oh my, and I'm like getting more nervous because I'm watching it and I'm like, oh, calm down. And I have asthma too. So here I'm like wheezing. I'm like, you know, my heart's pumping. And, um, and I felt good. Like, I mean, obviously it's the beginning of it. Of course I felt good. The adrenaline was like pounding through my veins. Um, and that kind of rolled along really well. Um, I actually added on an extra mountain to the traverse. There's this mountain called isolation and it was the easiest way to get isolation was actually going off the, the range and doing it and then going back onto the range versus like doing isolation from like the regular trailhead. Um, it was less mileage, less climbing, less descending. I actually just missed a moose on the trail and I was so upset. Um, like I passed these people and they're like, there's a moose right up there. And I'm like going past him and it was nowhere to be found. And then I see a video on Facebook and it was right next to the trail. So I was like, so upset. But anyway, um, I met actually Brian Nevins. Him and his daughter met me on top of Mount Washington. We, I was running around. If anybody watched my GPS track, there's like on Mount Washington, my track was going like this. It was because I was trying to find Brian. Like we missed each other, but we ran into each other finally. And he gave me some snacks up there. So like I had a little support in the middle there. And, and what's great about that is they're huts. So you always have access to water. Um, they do have like food and stuff there, but I'm plant-based. So I've been vegan for like a, a little over three and a half years. So I always made sure that like I had whatever I needed, um, because you never know, like you always have to be prepared. Um, and then when I left Brian after Mount Washington, uh, my trekking pole snapped and I was heading into the more technical section of the presidential range traverse. And like, like I either want to have poles or I don't want to have poles. The problem is, is that I couldn't collapse the pole. So I have like an attachment on my hydration pack to like put the poles in a quiver and I couldn't get the pole folded. So I had to do this like technical part with like a broken pole in my hand. And I ended up taking the other pole and putting it in the same hand because one pole was worthless. I, you either need two or you need zero. So I was pretty like pre pretty pissed off and like actually like not happy that whole second half. Um, and to top it off, I actually got like wicked shaping, like the whole, like my midsection, like the skin was gone from the humidity. And I've been dealing with really bad shaping this year in general. So like, I knew it was probably going to happen and there's no amount of like lube, body glider, anything that will prevent it. It is just like, I don't know why it's happening this year, but it's been happening a lot this year. I'm guessing I, my, my, the humidity has just been really wicked in the Northeast. So uh, Michael picked me up at the end of the, that range. Um, we patched up all my chafing and then I was out for a night leg again on my own. So that was about 28 miles. And then my night leg was about 17. And that was like the first night out. And I was out there solo. Um, not really scared about being out by myself. What's great about traveling at night is like your focus changes to where your headlamp's shining and that's it. So it's kind of nice to be out at night because I think it's easier to focus in a way. I like to look around at things. So I get way more distracted during the day. Um, and I realized during that, that I did not pee once during that whole section. So I'm like, oh, wow, I'm really dehydrated right now. Um, and that was like the biggest concern 
was when I finished that section was like immediately we need to do damage control right now because I, in the past, um, when I, I won a, the world's toughest mutter in 2016, I had really bad dehydration and my gut just totally failed on me, um, for like a few hours until we like rebalanced my body. So that was my biggest concern. Like, oh gosh, like I need my gut to stay like on point because I need to constantly eat. Um, but so now we like got it back within like a few hours. It was fine. I was just flooding my body. Like we stopped to think at like a gas station in and I got like a bunch of juice and like drinking whatever I could drink. Um, and then, so I'm already in like day two, like the morning, the next morning at this point, um, I did a small peak with Mike. So that was nice. And then we went over to what I call the mega PEMI. So you have like the regular PEMI loop, but I did this like 40, it's like 40, 344 mile point to point with 16 peaks in it, like straight hardcore peak bagging. Um, and it was supposed to be 17, but the weather I didn't, couldn't, I made the decision not to go down and do the 17th peak because I was going to drop down a huge rock slide and it was really foggy and I didn't, then it was about to become dark. And that peak, the Northern section of that peak is really notoriously difficult to follow even with GPS. And I figured I would be moving much slower just following the GPS than I would just actually coming back and running in and doing it another time. Um, so that was, I like that because I, I just filmed on the PEMI. I was there so many times over the past year. So Mike again came and he was again, the only person up there. So he came and he came up to the third peak with me and he did like a loop. So he carried my pack, which was great. I carried a small pack. He carried my regular, like my 12 liter hydration pack. So at the top of Mount Lafayette, like the, it's uh, the fourth peak. We, he gave me, we traded packs. I took my pack. The sun was about to set. We were in this crazy, like cloud fog cover. And he went back down to meet the other two people who were going to show up. My, I, my other friends, Glenn and Kumi. And I was gone. I'm like, I'll see you guys. Whatever. Like somebody's going to come meet me at some point towards the end. I didn't know when, but I knew like, okay, you're on your own. So at this point, I'm like, okay, like I know where I am. I've been on this trail gazillion times. Um, the sun's going down. I dropped down. It was really windy. It was actually really cold. I like dropped down into the forest and I turn on my headlamp because it's dark and I could see three feet in front of me because it's so thick. Like the fog is really thick. And I'm like, oh, this is like, this kind of sucks. But like, okay, you know where you're going. Just like keep moving. And like, I got my groove and it was great. Like traveling at night, it like, I loved it because I get to like, see everybody's so a lot of people that camp like right next to the trail at night. And they're hearing this like person come through at like two, three in the morning. And they're probably like, what is this person doing out here? Like, where are they going? Um, on one mountain, actually, I heard snoring when I got up to the summit and I flashed my headlamp over and I saw a tent like tucked in the trees. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to be quiet. Like not like clank my poles down on the rock. I, tri I tripped and I like smashed down into the rock and I was like, threw down like an expletive. And um, I was like, oh, I totally woke them up, but oh, well, like, sorry. But um, I was out there. I did, how many peaks I did? I'm trying to think in my head, how many did it by myself? I did the majority of it by myself and it was fun. Like I was out there all night by myself. In the morning, I was out there by myself. Eventually, I met up with somebody with like three peaks left. 
Um, and uh, it was my friend Glenn. And, and what's cool is like, he's like, I brought you something special. So like, you're like, ooh, what did you bring me? He got me fresh socks. And I was like super excited because for the first time, my feet were getting wet. There was like some flooding up to go out to one of the peaks. So like we all know like wet feet are not a good thing, uh, especially over lots of miles. So I changed socks, but he brought me this like chai oat latte and it was like a smoothie. And it was just like the most divine thing at that very moment because I was on my like 18th peanut butter and jelly tortilla roll sandwich, like tortilla sandwich. So like it was nice to, to change it up. Like the little things, you learn to appreciate the little things. Um, that was fine. I met up with like two more friends, my Brian and another Brian. And I came off of that. Actually, that was the first time my feet started to bug me a little bit. And it was because they were still like, they were wet. Like the trails were very wet at this point. Like it wasn't really like raining much, but there were, a lot of, there was a lot of mud and a lot of like boggy stuff. So my feet were wet for quite a few hours at this point. So like they were getting a little tender. So I was like, okay, I got to like change shoes. We took off my shoes and I started to get blisters and I never get blisters. I haven't gotten a blister in years. I don't know the, I think the last time I got blisters was probably like 2008. Um, so I was like, okay, this is not good. Um, I obviously have like a, in the car. So prep wise, I had like, you know, med kits. I had a binder of like every leg, my estimated times, what to feed me, all this other stuff. It was like the Bible of like what to do, how to crew Stephanie. Um, and my crew, they were super on point with all of this. And they, they anticipated things and thought ahead. So we started at that point to treat my feet. Um, and that night I went out. Actually, this is a really important part that what happened is I had two single peaks to do. They gave me the option to, I was going to have to do one of them by myself because they had to go back to the house for something and maybe take a nap. And that was fine. I chose to do the first peak by myself because it was still kind of daylight. And I was like, I'd rather be out by myself in the daylight. Even if the sun goes down, I'm fine. So I did that. And then the next peak, Wombeck. I hate this mountain so much. And I don't hate, I hate it for one specific reason. When we got out of the car, it was like the most epic downpour. You couldn't see anything. It was, the rain was so heavy. Like we were just like plowing through really deep puddles. It was hot, too hot for rain gear. But then eventually it got, so you were like sopping wet. Like there was, you're going to be wet no matter what. But then it got towards the top and you were freezing cold, sopping wet. So you had to put on all your rain gear and you're warm. But it was just like, it's not even a big mountain. It's actually one of the easiest hikes to do up there. But it just went on and on and on. And I have to upload my GoPro stuff because I took a GoPro at every peak. And I, all you probably saw is a headlamp hearing a torrential downpour. And I'm like, I hate this so much. And I think if I was by myself, I don't know if I would have made it to the top of that mountain. Um, I was really tired at that point because I didn't really sleep much um, before that. Maybe I slept like 30 minutes or 45 minutes. And you're already talking. I'm out there now for my third night. I haven't hardly slept. And it was just like the rain. If you're tired and you're, like you're driving, the windshield wipers are going, you kind of get hypnotized. It was that times like 20. It was just so hypnotic. And in addition to that, I started to hallucinate. So I'm like, see, and I know like they're hallucinations. Like I know my mind's playing tricks on me. But all I saw were like skulls everywhere. 
And I'm like falling asleep. I'm seeing skulls. I can't see because of the rain. Like everything's going wrong. I'm miserable. But thankfully, my crew captain, Michael, is in front of me. And I just get to literally just watch his headlamp and watch his feet. And I'm just like, just follow him. Just follow him, follow him, follow him. You'll get down. Um, And we made it down. We were both like, F this, like, we hate this mountain. This is, we're never coming back here. To this day, we still like talk about, we we always talk about it. But um, pick me up. He baked fresh cinnamon rolls, like, and they were in the car. And he didn't tell me, I think until, I don't think he told me afterwards. So I was like, so stoked that like, that's one of my, I got that food during a death race back in the day. And I was like, in the med tent, they were patching up like, oh, my leg, like, I like wore off the skin on my thigh, carrying a big stone up the mountain. And I was in the med tent and I was like, oh, I'm so tired. And somebody brought me a freshly baked cinnamon roll. And I was like, okay, I can go race again. So like, it was like nostalgia, like nostalgic for me. Um, so I was better. Like once we had that, like I had the food, we're like, we're out of Wombeck, like we're carrying on. Like I felt a lot better at that point. Um, we kind of changed up at this point how I was going. No, we changed it up. I was supposed to do one back earlier. So we already changed at this point. Like my thing was, it was changed from like the get go. Um, like thinking in my head, what did I do after Wombeck? I did see like my brain is already like, <laughs> I can't remember it all. Um, what did I do? Oh gosh. I can't remember. Wow. That's bad. Uh, where did I go from there? Oh, See the trauma. The trauma. There's, <laughs> there's 48 of the peaks you're I, trying to do. <laughs> yeah, but it's like so. So I went from Wombeck. I didn't do. I ended up. I did Cannon later. I went down to. Did I go to? Oh, I know. I went to the Hancocks. Okay, yeah, that's what I did. So I went down to do now. So at this point, I've actually done basically all the difficult stuff. Um, once I finished, like the Penny. The goal was to do as much difficult stuff at the beginning to front load it and then have the easier stuff on the back end. So there's like shorter things, um, things with less, uh, like less technical, you know, just make it easier. Cause obviously I was going to be more tired. So from there, like there on out, I had e- easy stuff to do. I didn't have difficult peaks at all. Um, and at this point now I have like three people that are going to be crewing me. So I always had somebody with me from there on out and it helped a lot because I started to get, you know, you're really tired at this point. Like you're, I haven't slept for days really. Um, my feet at this point, were starting to get really messed up. And the next mountains, we went to the Hancocks. There's two of them going through puddles that were like knee deep. Like and there's no way around it. Like in order to like go around it, you're going to take twice the amount of time and your feet are still going to get wet. So like, you're just like, screw it. I'm just going straight through it. You know, like in a true, like an adventure racer, you're like, just gonna walk right through it. Um, but it was like getting, like, I was fine during the day because it was daylight again. So I had energy and I was good. And then after that, I did a, like a four, one, two, the Tri-Pyramids, Sconaway and Whiteface. I did like a four peak, like a through with my friend Kumi. And she was great. And it was like really fun. And it was like fun being with her. See, like later on when you're with somebody, it's just like, they just like pick you up so much. Like, and I had a really solid group of people there who like, just were like, they like knew how to read me. They like, didn't push me. I was pushing myself. Like I would get angry at myself and I would apologize to them for being so slow. I felt really bad, but they're like, no, we're here for you. Like, this is great. This is an experience for us. 
Um, and it was just like a pleasure to be out there with them. It definitely made it the miles go by a lot faster. Um, so I'm out there with Kumi and towards the end when her and I were coming back to the car, this person's coming up the trail and it was the first person we saw in like 15 miles. And I'm like, Oh wow. Like I'm like, Hey, have a nice hike. And it's a friend of mine, Andrew. And he goes, Hey, it's Andrew. And it's like looking at me. I'm like, Oh, like, I didn't recognize you. Sorry. Like, you know, not really here, you know? <laughs> and he was there. He, so Andrew has this great store up in Jackson called ski the whites. It's like a skiing mountain biking, trail running, um, trail running store. They also have like their Instagrams, like run the whites, ski, the whites, ride the whites, it's three different ones. So they are like, these guys are like, they know everything about like the white mountains. It's like an amazing resource, cool store, cool events. And he has this dog called squall, like a snow squall. And he's like, he's like a, I don't know, Australian shepherd or something. He is like the cutest, fluffiest butt. And when he walks, it just like shakes. And you're just like, Oh, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. So like squall's leading the way. I'm just like, I'm going to follow your butt because it's really cute. Um, and it was a fun surprise. Like, so that was great. Like, you know, even like, wow, like I don't just get one person. I get two people now and a dog. Um, and then, you know, I had to take a longer rest after that because my feet were destroyed at this point. They were in water for so long. The bottoms of my feet started to feel like, the skin was just going to like tear, like with every step that I took. Um, I had a blister, a huge blister on my heel rip open during that leg. Um, and I could feel it. Like I took a step down up on like a big rock. I put my foot down, you know, like you've just, I felt a rip and then the stinging happened, like all like the liquid, like just came out of it. And I was like, I know that's the blister. Like, and I did, I like stopped and I, um, like put moleskin around it with like a moleskin. I, pre-cut moleskin with a hole in the middle. So like it would like put like a higher layer around the open wound. So like it, the shoe and us stuff wasn't exactly pressing on the open wound. So that's like a great thing to include in your med kit along with like the silicone like blister patches. They're amazing too. But um, so we took time. Like I ate ramen. I was eating a pint of ice cream. I was like sharing it with Squall. And everybody was there and we were taping up my feet at this point. Like my feet were mangled. Like they were like, so we taped, uh, I didn't tape, Mike, Michael taped on. He made me like, and that's in that photo of me with the feet, like all that dark stuff, that's Luco tape. It's just dirty, dirty, really dirty Luco tape. And like, we kind of like made a new soul for my foot. Um, so like, so that was like that, at that point I was like kind of getting pissed at myself because that was my only limiter. My legs felt so fresh. Like my knees felt so good. And I was eating really well. And I was like, just felt fine. But my, the soles of my feet were like, I was at the mercy of them. I just could, like, I could only move as fast as they would allow me. And like, everything hurt. Running was like a nightmare. Like, it was just like, I just had to be careful with how I moved. Um, and then the next leg, I actually tried to keep my feet dry because I'm like, maybe they can like get a little like really. And we did. But then after a while I realized like it's taking so much time to try to keep them dry. And again, they're just going to get wet. So we did, I did one leg and I kept them dry. And then after that, I was like, I don't care anymore. Um, and then that next, the leg after the foot drying thing, I had a, one of my best hallucinations. I was going up a mountain with my friend Glenn and I'm like, and you know, it's a hallucination, you know, it's not real, but you're just like, 
like a glimmer of hope. Maybe it's real. We were next to this ski resort called uh, Tecumseh. And I'm like, Glenn, do you see, is that Santa Claus painted on that rock over there? And he's like, where? And I'm like, wait, wait, let me get up there. And I like get closer and closer. And I'm like, oh, never mind. That's not Santa Claus. And so like, that's been our running joke. Cause I swear it was like, not like, it was like an old school Santa Claus. Like, like, you know, like, you know, like something you see like from the 1950s. And I'm like, well, maybe cause it's a ski resort. Like maybe they have like some like holiday theme. Like, no, it was not Santa Claus, but it's okay. <laughs> so, so the hallucinations were getting pretty good at this point. Um, they definitely kept me occupied, but I was also falling asleep at this point. Like I was having, I was yawning and my, like I actually couldn't keep my eyes open when I yawned. It was like really weird. It was like, I had no control over anything that my brain wanted to do. Um, and so I was like fighting, like it was definitely like a mental fight more. So it wasn't physical at, like, it was like my feet bothered me, but at this point I was so frustrated that I was falling asleep. I was just getting angry at myself. And I was like, this like happy go lucky was talking herself down. I was like, you're better than this. Come on, move faster. Let's go. Like you're better trained for this. And it had nothing to do with my physical, uh, like physical ability from like a muscular standpoint. It had to do with just like a pure exhaustion that my body was like, what? We can't move any faster. Like, you know, like you're going to just fall asleep. Um, and every time you fall asleep, you're going to trip and you're just going to get more and more angry. And that's exactly what would happen. So I was like, starting to like stumble a lot. And it was just like getting more, it was like, this just like getting worse and worse and worse. And finally I had a big trip and I just started to like cry. I actually was just like, Oh, like I was just so angry. Cried for like 30 seconds as I was, as I was moving along or a minute. And I was like, Glenn, my friend Glenn was with me and he was like, held my hand. He's like, you're going to be fine. And he like gave me a pep talk. And then I was like, okay, I'm okay now. Like, that's like, I guess my like, I was just like all this pent up frustration. It was just like came out and I was like, I'm not going to cry. And I, just, I couldn't help it. So it was, uh, that was the fourth, the third, see, I don't even know when it was the third, third night. Well, let's see, I was out. <laughs> this is, it all blends together. Um, cause that was the fourth night because I finished at night, like technically, you know, four and a half days. Um, and it was daylight again when we came after my little crying fit, it was like sunrise. So good thing. Like a new day is right. Like is, is here. And I was going up to these three mountains, uh, Cannon and the Kinsmen's two Kinsmen's. And, um, it's like a, I don't even know what the climb is. It's like close to like probably 3000 feet, like, right. Like maybe like uh, high 2000 or something. Um, and I, Glenn and I drove to go meet Michael. Michael said when he, when I showed up, I just like, he, I was in the backseat of the car too. I was like driving Miss Daisy in the back. And, here I am like eating and I'm just like, have the saddest face on. And like, he's like, you look so unhappy, but it was daylight. So the second I like hit the trail, I was like, woo, right up the mountain. As if like, you wouldn't know that I, what I just did prior to it. Like my energy was totally fine. And it was pouring rain again. Um, at one point, this like huge crack of thunder came like right overhead. And my first thought was like, uh-oh, lightning. How are we going to manage this? There was no lightning like at all. It was just one crack of thunder and that was it. It was just like pouring rain instead. Um, and even though like, it was like awesome. Like I actually, that was one of my favorite sections. I just like felt really flowy. Like I was like scrambling really well. I was like moving really, like I was moving fast 
and it was just fun. Um, but it's amazing, like how different I was day versus night at that point. Um, and the trails were super flooded. Actually, at one point, it looked like it was just a whitewater river was coming down the mountain. And I'm like, where does the trail go? And I see a woman on the other side of this like makeshift river. And I like yelled over and I'm like, where's the trail? And she literally just points right through it. And she goes, it's straight through, like just come across. Um, so that was fun. Like to me, like, that's like, that's like, I don't know. I love it. That's like adventure racing, you know, like I was just loving that, loving that section so much, especially coming off of like, like the whole, like, you know, tripping and crying incident that I'm kind of embarrassed about, but I mean, it happens. Um, and at that point I was, uh, already almost done. Those are like my, I had two more mountains left. I had to go get the peak that I skipped during the mega penny. And what we realized, I went out with Kumi and this is Owl's, it's Owl's Head. So Owl's Head is kind of nice because you have a nice few miles, which is pretty flat through Lincoln Woods. It's like the smoothest thing you trail. It's like, it used to be a railroad that used to go through it. So it was like, it's really like well-groomed. It's a very popular area to go to. The thing is, is we have water crossings and when it rained, I think it rained about three inches in total. What I didn't realize is that from the two weeks, like prior when I was there, when the water crossing super easy to do that three inches of rain changes things very quickly. And we were on our way going to it. And we passed these two women coming to us. They're like, Oh, you guys going to Owl's Head? And we're like, yeah. And she said, Oh, we had to turn around. The water crossing was too dangerous. And First thing I think is this is peak number 47. I will bushwhack my way as north as possible. I know I like this, this will eventually like kind of like teeter off. I may have to go like a mile bushwhack, but I know I will get around it somehow. And I'm going to, I'm like, I am not stopping at this point. I did though say to my friend Kumi, I'm like, I don't want you doing anything that's uncomfortable, like too out of your comfort zone. Because for me, the first thing and foremost is like, I will put myself in a little more, like more risk. Cause obviously I know what risk I can kind of manage and mitigate. And there's some things I won't do. Like I know it's too dangerous, but by no means will I ever put anybody else in a risky situation if they're uncomfortable. Like that's not like safety's priority. Um, and we all want to come out of this, like breathing and living on, on the other end. And the mountains will always be there as I've learned with other things in the past. So like it's sometimes it's not worth it, but she's like, well, we'll figure it out when we get there. Like, we'll just, let's just go and we'll figure it out. So we have like two smaller crossings and we get to the big one and yeah, it's like not crossable, but I'm like, okay, like let's start going around. I know where there's a campsite. I have a feeling it's crossable there. And it was like, um, the white wa- there's white water everywhere, but there's like one section where there wasn't any white water. It was like three feet wide. And I said, like, you can stay here if you want. She goes, no, 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 I want to come. So, like, we did it, like, straight up, like, she's petite. She's, like, she's really light. She's petite. So I'm, like, okay, like, we'll link up arms. I'm, like, you take one of my trekking poles. She, I took the other. And I stayed upstream because I'm the bigger person. So I'm, like, we'll go diagonally, but we'll still be linked up. And that's how we crossed. So, like, you know, like, you know, you go across diagonally. I, like, block the current. And we made it across and it was like, for us, like that was just so exciting. And, and not only that, you get out of this river and you literally like the trail to owls, that is not a trail. It is a straight up, like it's a herd path, but it's not even like herd paths are very popular in the Northeast. It's just like, 
what it is. It sounds like it's usually like small, like trails. Um, this one's like a rock slide. So, and it's like lots of scree and stuff, um, like through like big tiny trees. So it's like your adventure, like is actually just beginning to go up to Owl's Head. Um, and it's like a straight climb up. Um, so we made it up there. We came back down and we had to, you know, ford the river yet again on the way back. Um, and on the way out, her and I were just like, She's like, that was the best thing I've ever done. She goes, oh my God. Like she was so excited and I was so excited. And it was just like such good energy going back and forth. Um, and at this point, like, I'm like, okay, 47, I just have to go for my 48. Um, and, but da, 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 nightfall happens again. So you think that the adrenaline would carry me up and down that final peak. No problem. That is incorrect. Um, I made it up. I was so tired. I was falling asleep even on the way up. And it's is really, it's a common, it's like one of the most climbed peaks in the white uh, Musalak. And it's, it's like a, it's not bad. It's like by any means. On the way down, I was watching my friend Brian in front of me and I would like see a step and then like it would black out and I'd like see a step again and everything would black out and then everything just blacked out. And all I remember was like, I was on the ground at this point. I like, I like tripped and I went flying down the mountain. And his description was, it sounded like you just threw a slab of meat on the ground. Like, and then all of a sudden you heard all this like metal clanking around, which were like my trekking poles flying down. Um, and I got pretty beat up. Like my leg got really shredded. Um, so, <laughs> so I get, everybody's like freaking out. They're like, oh my God, oh my God, get her up. Like I was so slow going down that mountain. It's almost embarrassing, but I was so tired. I like, I could not stay awake. Like it, it was so hard. Um, and then I tripped again. I almost tripped, but thanks. I tripped going over this bridge, going over like a, a water crossing, but I thankfully tripped on like the first step. I think I just missed it. And I like just stepped right off of it. Like not like, I don't know. I don't really know. But all I know is like kind of fell down a little bit. And I was like, oh, good thing that didn't happen on the bridge at least, you know, and like <laughs> you carry on. But like, that was it. Like, I mean, we made it back finally, stopped all the, stopped the watch and the Garmin. And I had a lovely beer, actually I had this very same beer that I'm having right now. Um, and just kind of like took in the moment at that time. And it was kind of, it was like, it was almost like disbelief. Like, did this just happen? Like, did, like, did we do this? Cause like, that was a big team effort. That wasn't like, that was not like me. Like I, yeah, I climbed 48 mountains, but like I did not climb them alone, even though like I did some by myself at the beginning, like, like that credit goes to everybody that came out there to help me. And to also like them telling me along the way, being like, you have no idea how many people are following your dot right now. Like I didn't know. I like just posted it the morning of, I was like, let me just like, you know, let's just say, this is what I'm doing. Follow along if you want, whatever. And like, little did I know, like hundreds of people were like following along and like sending me messages. And I had no idea because I wasn't connected to my phone the whole time. I was in like, you know, the world of the 48, like that's it. I just shut myself off from the rest of the world. Um, and then, so I had my beer and we went back so I could finally shower because I was wearing the same clothes for like 75% of that. Oh, it was pretty gross. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, but uh, I apparently I fell asleep and like I was so delirious in the car and I'm sure the alcohol really hit me at that point. Apparently I like I would like wake up out of sleep and I would like make no sense and say random blurt out random things and I do remember this one thing. And at the time I was like it makes total sense to me. But we got back to like the condo and I was like, my friend's like 
okay, you, like you can hop out. I'm going to go park the car, hop out and go inside. And then I'm like, so what do I do? Do I just go up to the door and wait till it like slides open? Like I had no idea how to like go inside of a building at that point, like totally delirious. Um, but, and then there was no hot water. The hot water heater ran out of hot water. So I had to sit. I was like, I was fine. Like, I didn't care. I was so dirty at, like, at this point. Like, you hit a point when you're doing anything that's, like, really long that you're like, I don't care how filthy I am. I know I'm gross. But you get used to it. Like, you get used to the griminess. So, like, I think everybody else was more concerned with the fact of how disgusting I was. Like, that they thought, like, oh, my gosh, she really wants to shower. I was like, oh, cool. I'll just, like, I, like, sat on the bath mat, like, wrapped in a towel. And I'm like, I'll just take a nap here. And when there's more hot water... I'll just go take a shower. Like it's no big deal. And that's exactly what I did. <laughs> and that was that. But I felt pretty good the next day. Like only like my feet didn't swell until like 15 hours. I went to the Woodstock Inn Brewery for lunch and they only started to swell at lunch. Like everything started to like, you know, glow up a little bit. Um, I did get a look though from a guy. He was like, he like locked eyes. I was in flip-flops because I couldn't put my feet with all the blisters into shoes. He like locked eyes. So one of my blisters that we, um, what do you like? He like, you know, we broke open. This thing healed itself and refilled with liquid overnight from like when I like showered to like when I woke up in the morning. I'm like, you are a very resilient blister. This guy locks eyes with my feet and I could see it in the corner of my eyes. He was tracking my feet the whole time as I passed him. I'm um, like the patio and I'm like, probably <laughs> wondering like, where was she? But, um, I felt pretty good afterwards. Like I was like, I don't, wasn't like hobbling around or anything. Like I, and I really attribute that back to my training. Like it was like back to the fact that like, I really like not just put in the time on my feet, but did all the strength training, did the recovery work. Like I ate really well during it. Like I, after the dehydration incident, I was really actually hydrated as hydrated really well for the rest of it. So like, I really think that like that all, like, I not think I know like that all played a huge factor in the fact that like, I felt good. Like a few days later, like I was just a little bit tired, but other than that, like my body was like, okay, we're like, we're ready to go. Like, when's the next thing? Like, you know, yeah, well, it sounds like you could have just kept going. I mean, how many, uh, how many, yeah. what was your, what do you think your limit would have been? Like we talking four or 500? Four no, four thousand foot peaks. So I said, if Squall was going to lead, I'd do another forty-eight right then and there. I was like, Squall, if that Wigglebutt was leading the way, I I'm in, and I would go faster than I did before. You know, so but like it was cool because I was this was the first time I ever I do like a lot more multi-sport stuff. Like adventure racing, the longest race I did was five days long. Like I slept like maybe eight hours during that. This was only three. But that's multi-sport. So your body, like you use different muscle groups. This was the first time I was ever on my legs for that type of mileage straight. Even in my training, I've never hit past, I think like 80, 80 miles or 85 miles. Never did I ever think like, oh, wow, I'm going to drop a 105 mile week with 42,000 feet of climbing and, and descending each. Like, so it really like was, I was entering like a whole new territory for me, but now I'm like, ooh, like, what else can I do now? Like, you know, like, hmm, you know, like we always like draw those lines on the ground and we're like, hmm, that's our, like, that's our limit. No, no, no. Erase it. Like draw it a lot farther than what you, like where you think it belongs. 
Well, first off, congratulations again on uh, setting that FKT. I mean, just hearing that story was super inspiring. It's just it's this amount of effort that went into it and on all fronts is just absolutely inspiring. And I know our viewers absolutely love that. Uh, we've got a couple more questions here before we do yeah. close out. Uh, one thing that I'm super curious about is when you're out there for such a long time like that, I'm sure there's a lot of memorable moments, but if you had to pick one, what was your most memorable moment out there on the trail? Oh, gosh. Oh, See, I feel like it's one with each person that I spent time with. Like, cause everybody, like I shared a moment with like somebody like Glenn, it was Santa Claus. Like we used to laugh about that. Like Michael, it was probably like, well, Wombach is like a nightmare. So that's not a, the best moment, but like, it's more like going up Cannon when we was like, and that thunder crack and the pouring rain. And it was just like, I don't know. It was like a whole different world. And with Kumi, it was like the, it was the river crossing. Um, and then like Brian and Brian, like the Brian's, I call them like, just like seeing them. Like, I think like those moments stand out because like by myself, I do a lot of things on my own. Um, and like, I like to like, you know, I like to be out on my own, but like being out there and sharing something with somebody, like that's just a whole nother level of being like special and memorable to me. That's an incredible answer. And uh, kind of going off that now, you mentioned earlier in the episode that, uh, you know, looking back now, you believe that you kind of do it a little quicker and, you know, a couple things went your way. What kind of dive deeper into that and kind of explain uh, what you meant by that? Um, really simple. Uh, if my feet weren't soaked for that long, um, if my feet were out of the, that much water and were drier, I, I'm confident and I'm not saying this because of ego or anything, I know based on my training and the numbers and everything that I saw, like I had a four day FKT, if not less in me, um, I had to spend, we had to spend a lot of time doing medical stuff with my feet. Um, there was a lot of like slow moving when they were just like soaked before we taped them up. Um, that took a lot of, we also had, we also changed my route because of the weather. Um, I had my route planned out to be the most efficient route, um, possible, but like the least amount of driving. And the thing is, is the longer you're out there on less sleep, the slower you start to go because you're just tired. So, um, like in a way, like going faster, like it helps, it benefits you because you're out there like less time and you don't succumb to sleep deprivation, but mother nature, like she totally threw like a huge wrench in my plan, but, and that's where I struggle. It's like, it's so out of my control, but in my eyes, I'm like, I know I'm better than that. So for some reason, I think it's, in, it's like, even though it's out of my control, I, my brain's telling me, no, it's in your control, even though it's not. So it's hard. Like, I, like, I feel like I have unfinished business. It sounds kind of crazy, but I feel like I do. Well, I hope that you go after it again because, you know, then it's going to be out of sight from for anyone, honestly, to touch. Uh, it's just absolutely incredible to kind of hear you continue to talk about uh, just the little things that you could kind of do to improve on that. Uh, to kind of do an FKT like this, you have to be super, uh, I feel like super mentally tough. You obviously battle tested like you were in training, but you have to be mentally fit as well as physically fit. And I kind of, I kind of think it's super interesting that you have an incredible mantra here, and I'm going to read it for our listeners. Uh, it's embrace adventure adventures and the challenges that accompany it smile through adversity shine in the darkness and discover yourself where did this come up where did you kind of get this mantra from how did you discover it and uh, when did you decide to make well, it well it actually it's my mantra uh, a friend of a friend and my a friend and i like in 2015 we were chit chatting and like that became i was thinking i was like 
trying to like apply for something. Um, I think it was like Columbia when they had the director of toughness and I was like trying to come up with like a mantra and like that, like, you know, it was like, like, like about, it evolved into that. Um, and no, I did not get that job, but, uh, but uh, like that kind of like really defines like everything that I do and like seeing that, like, even though like, I definitely like can, I do get frustrated as I like just spoke of. Um, I still also like, I do my best to try to like, not, like I get frustrated. It's fine. But also like, you know, see the bright side of, even if it's un completely unrelated to that. So like when I'm out there, um, if I'm like, something's like not going right or if anything that I, and anything I do, I'll like go focus on something else. I'll be like, if it's daytime, it's easier. I think, cause I'll be like, Oh wow, look at that beautiful bird over there. Or I'll be like, you know, like just stop and like turn around and take a moment and look at my surroundings and be like, how fortunate am I am to be in this place right now? Like, and like try to approach things with more of an, like with an appreciation versus like, you know, uh, oh, I'm so angry and like this and that, like, no, like look where you are. Like, and it's, I've been doing that for years because I get, I beat myself up a lot. I'm like, my, you know, my, you're, we're our own worst critics. And it happened to me mountain biking years ago when I just started to mountain bike and I was getting so frustrated because I like couldn't go up the switch back in Colorado and I kept on unclipping and it was like messing up my momentum. And I like threw my bike down, but I was standing over the top bar, like the top two and the seat jammed me in the butt and it hurt so much. And I was just like, breathe. I like took a few breaths. And I'm going up the mountain. So I turned around and I like looked around and I was like, oh, look where I am. Like, this is really beautiful. Like, cut it out. Like, it's just like ridiculous. I think obviously if this is like a gold medal I was going for, you know, maybe I could warrant it. But I also realized that like the less, the, the more stress that we can like take out of our lives that we have control over the more energy we will have for performance to perform better. Um, so it's about like, if we, some stress is out, some stress is out of our control. Sometimes like things are out of our control, but we can also control how we react to certain things. Um, so it's like doing, I try to do my best to try to control how I react to things that aren't going my way versus just trying to go with the initial reaction of like a negative thing. And that's usually a negative response. Um, so that definitely like that helped me a lot because in triathlon, I was like so intense and I'm really intense in general, but like I was so intense that it started to hurt my performance. Um, I was actually hit by a cab in New York city on my bike. And that moment I raced three weeks later at nationals. And that was the moment when I realized just, I was just happy to be at nationals, even though my, I've broken teeth. I was like, so beat up. I was happy to be at nationals and I didn't race that bad. I like, I didn't make the national team, but I raced like five minutes off my PR or whatever. And I was like, see, look at that. Like all beat up. I had two bike mechanicals during it. And I like, I am swimming a course that was not suited to me. And here I am just enjoying the moment and I still can excel. So like, why am I going to like, just put all this energy into stress when I could just put it into like, you know, 
doing something I love. And all of a sudden, like your body's just like, yeah, we'll go. Let's do it. What do you want to do? I absolutely love that answer. Uh, earlier in the episode, you also mentioned you've got a race in a couple of weeks here. Talk about your future goals real quick. What do you have lined up the rest of this year? And then let's just look, say, five or 10 years on the line. What else Ooh. you want to accomplish uh, in the bigger picture? So I have a, um, it used to, it was a 30 hour adventure. Race, so it's short by adventure racing terms. Uh, this year it has to be 24 hours because they're splitting the race into two days to like make it less, less teams on each day. Um, that's called wilderness traverse. It's actually up in Ottawa and Ontario. Sorry. Um, and, uh, it's like a really competitive Canadian race. I'm like the, I'm the only American that have ever won the race ever. Um, and my team's hoping to defend the title because the trophy is like, it's like the Stanley cup. You have to give it back, but it's a huge wooden carved beaver. That's like three feet tall. So Bob, the beaver has yet to make it to America. And I just want to like carry him around New York and do like photos with like big New York landmarks, like an Amelie, the movie. So I'm like, that's like my, like, that's my drive for like the team to like win the race again this year. Um, so that is in two weeks, literally like two weeks in a day on like two weeks from tomorrow. Um, for the fall, I haven't really like thought about racing per se. I thought maybe, maybe I would go for the Pemi FKT. I might not because if I'm getting to the point where it's like later in the season. So like, you know, it comes down to like water sources and things like that. So, um, I don't want to have to carry water for the whole thing. I want to be able to like get water on the trail because it's obviously much faster to move with less stuff in your pack. Um, in the winter, um, I have one potential FKT in the works, possibly two bigger ones, like a hundred plus miles. Um, I may go back in 2017. I tried to be the first woman to set an initial FKT to climb the 46 high peaks in the Adirondacks in the winter. Mother nature did it again, four feet of snow in 24 hours in the middle of it. I went from flurries. It was all, it was flurries for days, flurries, flurries, flurries. All of a sudden this little flurry day turned into, there's a blizzard coming. And I was just like, ah, so I actually kept on going. Um, and I eventually just like called it off. I was like, I, this is like ridiculous. Like there's no point in doing this. So, you know, a few of my friends have hit me up after this and they're like, can you please go for it again? Like, we will support you. We'll get out there with you. So like that traumatized me a lot. I'm not going to be honest. Like that's a whole nother story, but there was a, a lot of stuff on the back end of that with like my body took months to recover from the effort because I pushed myself way too far. Um, but I'm considering it. I'm really reconsidering it. Um, next year, see, like, I don't know what's happening next year, but like down the line, I'd love to get back on the event. I'd like to get on the adventure racing world series circuit. But in order to do that, I need a really good team because, um, I'm at the point where I'm not just going to like show up and race just to like race. Like I want to show up and win, like be with a strong team. Um, definitely looking into like, I like longer stuff, like multi-day things. Um, you know, like I like to map things out. I'm a big person. Like I like to like pull out maps and be like, Ooh, what can I do? Uh, so I don't know, like there might be some like weird multi-sport thing going on where I like, I have to mountain bike a, a chunk and then I have to like go be on foot for like a few hundred miles. And like, I don't know what, like, I, I like to step outside the box of like, just like just racing. Um, I think like racing, I love racing. I think there are some amazing races out there. I'd love to do the URA 100. 
Um, that's like my friend did, I paced him for it a few years ago and I'm like, Oh, this is a race for me. Like, look at all this burnt. This is great. Um, so like, that's a race that's probably going to be on my list. Um, I was going to do it a few years ago and I didn't. So I would say that I'd love to do uh tour de Jean's, but like the really long one, like the, was it 300 K? Um, I'd love to do that. Like that speaks to me. Um, you know, uh, I don't know. I have, I would love to do some like ultra mountain biking stuff, not like, like really long, but I would say for like ultra running like that, like those types of things are more appealing to me. Like, I like stuff that's technical. Like I want technical terrain. Like your race, not really technical, but like the, uh, Tour de Jean's is pretty, pretty darn technical. Like that's what we get in the Northeast. Like it's Northeast is super gritty. Um, so like that's, I'm open to suggestions, please. If anybody knows some like weird off the beaten path race that just sounds absolutely miserable, like let me know. Um, I'd love to look into it. Yeah, I think those are some great ones uh, to start with there. Yeah, they, I've been eyeing them for a few years and I'm like, you know, like I think it's like time to start really like, you know, doing it now that like we can travel a little bit more. I think it's easier to plan, you know, like with, like with COVID, it was kind of like a, you know, touch and go with all races. I did race last year. I did one race last year. I ran the Breakneck Ridge Marathon, which if anybody's ever in New York and wants to do a really, you think like New York has easy trails, sign up for the Breakneck Ridge Marathon and good luck. Cause it's about eight, eight to 9,000 feet of like straight up, like rocky, scrambly, like again, like that's what we have here. Um, but, uh, I also, I set the female course record. So, and that was cool. Cause that wasn't even like an A race for me. So I was, I was stoked on that, but, um, yeah, like I think I'm getting more and more into like the longer ultras, like I'll still do multi-sport, but like now I'm like, okay, like I've just like unlocked a new door. Like what, you know, what lies on the other end? You'll never see me doing something like I don't ever want to do Western States or anything like that. Like, um, that's a different type of like, like I, like for me, I know like it just wouldn't fulfill like my soul as much as other people. So, you know, leave the entries to somebody else. I think we want to see all those Californians come up to the Northeast and test out that terrain a little yeah. more too. And they think we have nothing. They're like, oh, your mountains are so small. <laughs> I'm like, no, they're actually pretty high from a vertical standpoint, like from mm -hmm. base to summit. And we don't have switchbacks. Like we go straight up. We're like, yep. like <laughs> and that's what I love about uh it. All right. Well, we just have uh, just a couple of like rapid fire questions here. So All right. the key is try not to think about them too fast. Just whatever pops in your head. Um, so the first one here we have, if ultra running had walk-up songs, like in baseball, what would be your walk-up song or adventure racing? Maybe like Maniac. <laughs> She's a maniac from Flashdance. <laughs> Probably. All right. Nice. That's a good one. Uh, That's a good answer. I mean, Tom Petty is my favorite <laughs> artist, but I feel like Maniac speaks to me a lot more. To who I am. Nice. All right. If you could run with one person throughout the history of the world, even if they're not a runner, who would it be and why? Steve Irwin. I feel like his, I am like, he's just such a passionate person was unfortunately and I love animals. He loves animals. And I just feel like his energy, oh man, we'd run for thousands of miles together. We just wouldn't stop. And he would be pointing out all the animals and like telling me interesting things. I'd be like, tell me about that. And like, crikey. And oh, it would be awesome. <laughs> wow. That, that might be the best answer I think I've heard. Uh, yeah, I love that answer. 
<laughs> All right. And then lastly, um, just any, any sponsors or local companies that supported you, um, that you want to plug. Um, for the FKT, I just want to, uh, I want to give a huge shout out to polar. Um, they like, uh, they're actually based on Long Island. Um, and they've always just been great. And like being like answering my questions and they sent me, you know, they've sent me watches and stuff, but I actually was using polar long before I even knew somebody from the company. They were always like my OG, like go-to watch. Um, and I got to know people at the company over there and they're just like, you're just like such good people. And, um, just have always been super supportive of what I've like recently done and are really supportive of, of things going forward. So thank you to them. Before we get out of it. Woodstock and Brewery for the delicious beer. Thank you. (laughs) Of course, of course. Before we get out of here, where can our uh, followers follow you on social media? I'm mostly active on Instagram, Steph Adventures, Steph with an F. Um, I do have an outdated website, which I promise I will upload my blog. Um, Maybe I'll do it tonight. Um, Maybe I'll do it probably Saturday, honestly. Um, But that's my name, stephaniebishop.com. Um, I have some videos up. I do have like a YouTube, but I haven't uploaded anything recently, but what I have up there is actually a lot of content I've done with other brands. Um, I did a bunch of like fun videos with Tough Mudder. Like you kind of get to like, see a lot of, a lot of like, just like me outside of racing too. Well, it's still like within the realm of it, but, um, maybe I have a lot of videos sitting on, um, external hard drives. So I just have to like teach myself to sit down and focus in front of a a video editor and get those up. Definitely. Definitely. And I think, you know, if our viewers are um, watching on YouTube right now, they can go in the description of this video and all of her social medias are right there. So make sure to give her a follow and check those out. Thank you so much for coming on tonight's live show. This was so much fun hearing all about your FKT, learning about your adventure racing, you know, all of the ultra marathons and all and everything you're going to accomplish moving forward. It was just such a fun episode. Uh, We're excited to see everything you accomplished. Good luck in two weeks at that race. We're excited to see you go out there and for your team to take home the W. Uh, That's it for tonight's show. We'll see everyone next week for Ridge Runners. If you're going to be out for Ridge Runners Live, if you're going to be out there at Run Bailey's this weekend, I know, Nick, you're going to be at that race. So everyone say hi to Nick. Cam and JD3 will be out there as well. So it should be an incredible weekend at Run Bailey's. If you want a fun little prediction video, I think we uploaded one this morning. You can go check that out as well. Until next time, Ridge Nation, we'll see you guys on the next one. See you guys. Ridge Runner Nation, thank you again for tuning in to another Ridge Runners live show. Remember, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out as well. If you don't follow us on social media, make sure to give us a follow. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, join our Strava Club so you can get mentioned in the Strava Rundown every single week. We'll see you next week, Version Our Nation. Oh, 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 oh,